for evidence. I'm sure on one form or another. Oh, look at this. Cozy, comfortable seats. How lovely. Comfortable. Pastor, does that mean I can preach for another half an hour? That's an extra. If they're sleeping, they won't notice any difference. Okay, true, true that. That's very, very true. Very true. It's wonderful to have such a change. Uh, For those of you that are listening on audio, Pastor Frank had us sitting on bricks for the last nine years, and we finally have some comfortable seats, which is a wonderful praise. Okay. We're going to be um, taking our message, continuing on from Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. When you uh, find your place, we'll open in a word of prayer. Okay, Romans chapter 6. We're going to be taking our reading from verse, uh, verse 12 through to the end of the, uh, end of the chapter. Let's, let's read. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, such an incredible portion of the Bible we find ourselves in. A portion of the scriptures, dear Lord, that explains to us a changed life. A life, dear Lord, that has been touched by the Lord Jesus Christ, a life that has been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, and we often find ourselves, dear Father, not understanding our state. But Father, we would know, dear Lord, that we are changed. And I pray, dear Lord, that um, you would bless us this morning. Bless us with a heart that understands, eyes that can see and ears that can hear. I ask you, dear Father, you'll be with each one of us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Been a blessing going through Romans, and we've seen how the Lord has worked through the Gospel of Paul to the Romans, explaining that Gospel from chapters one to three, giving us a really good understanding of what it is. Four and five, also giving further explanation to it. We get to chapter six now, chapter six and seven, explaining to us the actual change that has occurred within our lives. Now, when we, when we last spoke, 
we realise from verse 11, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We didn't understand completely what that means. What does it mean to be dead indeed unto sin? To be dead to sin, we, we still struggle. We still struggle with sin. So how can we be dead to sin? What Paul's bringing out in chapter 6 is that you would first accept that the Bible teaches there has been a change. If you are born again, the Bible teaches there has been an absolute fundamental change. The change involves that which is eternal and also that which is temporal. First of all, you must accept the fact that you are changed. If you are born again, if you accepted that sacrifice of Christ, there has been an absolute change within your life, without, without doubt. Chapter 6, he goes on to explain that change. Chapter 7, halfway through chapter 7, he continues on, giving you a, a, a fine-tuned definition of what that change is. So the title of the message today is Changed. Changed. First point is a changed constitution leads to a changed service. We'll take this from uh, verse 12. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. A changed constitution should lead to a changed service. Constitution. What's a constitution? Constitution is that body of law that, uh, that underpins the laws of, uh, and, the, and the actions of you know, governments around the world. Um, most Western nations have got a constitution. Our church has a constitution. The, the, the college, Bible college, has a constitution. Not all churches have constitutions, written formal documents, probably other than the Word of God, maybe. Not all countries have constitutions. The UK doesn't have a formal document of constitution. It has a range of documents that it goes through. But if I was to summarise what constitution is, it's, um, it's that inner law which governs the outward action. Okay? So anything that there is a desire for government or for churches or for yourself to do, there is an inner law which governs it. Okay? And what we're claiming here is that that constitution has been changed. For, you shall not have, for sin shall not have dominion over you, you are not under the law, but under grace. These constitutional principles, we find them also in Scripture. We find them in the Bible. We know that they're ancient. They're not just a, it's not a modern idea. A constitution isn't a modern idea. It's actually found in the Bible in old times. Remember in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, we've got, we've got uh, Darius the Mede, and he, he's, he's, uh, he's been presented by the presidents of the, uh, of the nation to, to write a decree the decree to ensure that no one falls down and bows before any god other than, or seeks petition of any god other than him. Okay? 
And it says, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it, might, that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. So the king, unbeknown to their plans, signed the decree. Then what do we find? We find Daniel knows about the decree. He's aware of the decree. What does he do? Window wide open, he falls before the Lord several times a day. He prays to the Lord, completely ignoring the desires of the people that are in the land and, the, and those leaders. Presidents go back to the king. And so they say, oh king, live forever. And they, they tell him, did you not sign this decree? Did you not sign this? And the king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. And then they answered him and they said to him, behold, Daniel... I, I tell you right now, as soon as the king heard Daniel's name, he would have been filled with remorse. It would have been that aha moment that he realised, oh my, what have I done? What have I done? And the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he laboured till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians is, that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. Could the king change it? Did he change the decree? Did he stop Daniel from going into the lion's den? No. Matter of fact, he put his seal on that den to ensure that no one would open it and he himself wouldn't open it. The king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his laws, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. It was a decree, it was a constitution, it was the law that underpins all their laws. We see exactly the same thing in the book of Esther. Same thing in the book of Esther. Remember that, Remember that passage in the book of Esther also where, where they are there to annihilate the Jews. Haman's, Haman had Ahasuerus sign the decree to completely wipe out the Jewish nation. An absolute, complete, total genocide of these people. And what do we find? happens all of a sudden he's been made aware of it he can't change the decree but he gives them the right to defend themselves and what do we discover 70,000 Persians slaughtered now these were the enemies of Israel these were the enemies of Israel their desire was to wipe Israel out and Israel defended themselves and killed 70,000 of them did you know that to this day that event is recorded in the Babylonian Talmud as an unprovoked attack by Israel. Still recorded there. It was our second Friday the 13th. Happened on Friday the 13th. That's the second one. I'm not going to go into a rabbit hole and be here forever. But um, again, it was a decree that, that had to underpin their law. Okay? This is the constitution. All laws that are made over that law is governed by that law. That's our first constitution. That's our first point. Modern times, we've got the Magna Carta, which was done in 1215 in England. Um, ancient times, the Code of Hammurabi in Babylon, the Assyrian Code, the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law is also understood as a constitution. That's the law that we're talking about here. If the constitution is changed, will the service be changed? If... if if Darius the Mede was able to change the constitution, could he have prevented Daniel from going into the lion's den? Yes, he would have been able to prevent it. Change the constitution, you can make a different law, different law that they work with. So the oldest 
constitution that we have, we've got to remember that Magna Carta is no longer in force today. It doesn't exist. Well, it exists, but it's no longer really used. The Medo-Persian Empire no longer exists. The Babylonian Empire no longer exists. The Hittite Empire died away a long time ago, and the Assyrian Empire also doesn't exist. The oldest constitution, still word perfect today, is actually found in the Bible, the Mosaic Law. Though every single ancient empire has fallen away, our Western world still underpins our governing laws and principles by the Mosaic Law. The Westminster um, Assembly of Laws is founded on the Ten Commandments. But has there been a change in that law that would change our nature and behaviour? Has there been a changed constitution that would lead to a change of service within us? Because if you don't understand this, if you don't recognise that there has been an actual change, then your, your service is not going to change. This is why Paul is logically concluding as he exhausts the Christian. He says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. So if there is a change in the constitution, then what we have here is an expected changed outcome, a changed action. There has to be a changed action. Clearly what he's teaching here is that now we have the ability to choose. We have the ability to choose to have sin reign in our mortal bodies. That we might yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Guys, this was never the choice that we had before. We never had this choice before. The Bible indicates to us that we were slaves to sin. That it was something that we couldn't help but do. It was in every part of our being, every part of our nature. But now there has been a change. Something has changed within our lives that now Paul is exhorting us to not yield ourselves to it. That's to not give ourselves over to it. How simple it is to give ourselves. You know, it doesn't take a lot of effort to sin. Anybody realise that it doesn't take a lot of effort to sin? It doesn't take a lot of effort to sin, does it? You know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to really try and sin today. No, no. I want to really try and yield myself to God today. That is a lot more difficult to do. And yet, we have a changed constitution within us. So what we see here, Paul says here, he says, prior to this change, the Bible teaches that sin did reign, and it could not but reign within us because we were the servants of sin by nature. But here Paul says, let not sin reign. Then he says, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, and concludes with the change of constitution that gives the reason for the change of our service. He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. So to summarise that, sin can reign if we let it. Sin can reign if we let it. Second one, sin cannot have dominion, however. Sin cannot actually have dominion. If you could only grab that and believe it, sin cannot actually have dominion. It can reign. You can allow it to reign, but it cannot have dominion. There is a new master on this throne and he won't share it with sin. He won't. Why? Third point of that is because our constitution has changed. We are not under the law, but under grace. 
There is a new form of inner governance. There's a changed government within us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7, if you've got that, if you've got your Bibles with you. Do you know that even the people in the world actually expect Christians to be different? They expect Christians to be different. We're supposed to act differently. Because there's something in the back of their mind that lets them recognise that there is a change of constitution. There is a change of law that should be governing Christians. That's why we're often charged with hypocrisy. They also don't realise we still struggle, you know. But we're often charged with that, okay? So they recognise it. So Hebrews chapter 7. So if you're in Romans, go forward about 12 books and you'll get to Hebrews chapter 7. The question that I want to ask is, has the law changed? Has the law actually changed? Verse 11 says, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? So we're speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ here. He's coming after a different priesthood after the priesthood of Melchizedek, not Aaron, not the Aaronic priesthood. For the priesthood being changed, verse 12, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there ariseth another priest who is made, listen to this, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 18 and 19, this is fundamentally important. He says this, For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. You see, the Lord's desire was to make men perfect. He was to make men perfect. But this was not able to be done via the old law. It couldn't be done that way. It's also known as the old covenant. Why? Because of the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. Guys, our Bibles are divided into two sections. The Old Covenant, Old Testament, the New Testament. I had a blessing of sharing the gospel with uh, a gentleman that I employed uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I was talking to him about the Bible and he goes, what, they have to make a new one? What, they have to make a New Testament? It wasn't made with the old one. I don't quite understand exactly what it is. It is one book, but it's an old covenant. It's an old law. Guys, there's a separation. There's a distinction here. Something has gone away, something new has come. It's taken its place. It is that which makes men perfect before God. So what was that better hope? It speaks about a better hope. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. You're still in Hebrews chapter 7. Duck down to 25, verse 25. Again, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did. Listen to what he says here. It says, Wherefore he is able also to save them, to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, 
Who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens? Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's? For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh a son who is consecrated forevermore. That's why, that's why in Romans 6, uh, 13, Paul says, Yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So a changed constitution leads to a changed service. Second point for this morning. A changed service leads to a changed concern. A changed service leads to a changed concern. From verse 15 in Romans, if you're back there, um, you're reading from verse 15. Paul then goes on and he says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Friends, our changed service leads to a changed concern. No longer do we desire to serve sin. Therefore, no longer should we obey it. Those who have received God's promise of salvation now serve a new master. There has been a 180 degree change. We were the servants of sin, but we have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered us. Being then made free from sin, we became the servants of righteousness. What then? Shall we sin? Is that what we should do? Is that the logical conclusion? Isn't it incredible how that's how we think? You know, we do think that way. We, we, we think that because we're saved, because we believed that we are eternally secure, because we have given, given our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and are now made free from the commandment of sin and death, then we can just go on and sin and do whatever we like. And we're charged with that. Paul was charged with that. That's, that's why he brings up the rhetorical question. He says, um, he says also in chapter 3 uh, that he's been charged with this. Where is it? I'll go there later. It must be down further down the page. If there's been a disannulling of the commandment going before, and natural thought is toward anarchy, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? So so clear is the Bible teaching that we are not under the law that it asks the very question most people would have concerning what it is that now restrains our sin. But you know that the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. Notice, please, the Apostle's immediate abhorrence and refutation of this claim. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. God forbid. This is the passage that was spoken about last time that actually deals with antinomianism. This is that verse. 
Okay, antinomian. What a, what a word. They come up with these big theological words, aren't they? You like them? You all know what it is. Good, all right, I'll go on. Antinomian. So it's anti is, is, can be used as uh, against or without or in place of. Noma, nomian, noma is law. So it basically means against law, against the law. Antinomianism, against law. Okay. It's in, uh, it's in Romans 3.8 where Paul was charged by this and he actually says, he says, And not rather as we be slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation, he says, is just. You know, there were people that actually believed that they could do whatever they like with their bodies because their spirit is completely separate from their bodies. It's actually a platonic idea. You know, Plato believed that everything, that there is a perfect he said he drew a perfect circle. There is only one perfect circle, but that's in the spiritual. We can conceive of it in the natural, but it's not perfect. Okay? Only things that are spiritual are perfect. Therefore, only things that are spiritual are good. Everything that is physical is evil. The Gnostics then brought that idea forward a little bit further, and they said, right, so everything that we do with our bodies doesn't affect that we're perfect. So they did whatever they liked with their bodies and they still thought that that was okay in the spiritual realm. This charge wasn't just against Paul, but it's been put through history against the Lutherans. It's been put through history against the Anabaptists. Matter of fact, even today, it's still put through all those people who believe you are eternally secure. Everybody that believes that they are eternally secure, people naturally think that you just got a licence to sin. What's our answer? That's the same as Paul's. God forbid. And he explains here in verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Firstly, notice that if there is no change of service, there can be no change of concern. Whom ye yield yourselves to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Whoever you belong to, you will naturally obey. Turn to John chapter 8, please. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, incredible passage of the Bible. This is where you get that, that unreal discourse between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Pharisees. It's a conversation that you've really got to read and listen to. And how everything plays out to the point, well, well, let's just say that Jesus is being so clear that they want to stone him by the end of it. Okay, so hopefully I'm clear enough here. Don't stone me, I'm behind the pulpit though. This is... Yeah, in America some of these are actually made bulletproof. It's true. True. Okay, verse 39, chapter 8, verse 39. And we'll just read a few of these so you can get a bit of a gist of it. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father, Jesus saith unto them. If Abraham were, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they unto him, We be not born of fornication, we have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. The very reason why they don't hear God's words is because they are not of God. Those that are in the service of God have a concern for the works of God. Those that are in the service of Satan have a concern for sin. Their natural tendency is to desire sin. Their lack of concern for sin bears them witness to themselves. If you don't have a concern for sin, you are not saved. It's not possible. There has to be a change of constitution. There has to be a change of law that's governing you. If you sin, it's not just remorse that you experience, but a deep-seated desire to follow God's commandments and to obey Him and to love Him and to cherish Him and to believe what He's done for you. To believe what he's done for you. That you will become a man or a woman that will sin less. Unto holiness, righteousness. That's our desire. That should be yours. Not, not, not a defeatist mentality of, of, oh, woe is me and sin's all over me and I can't do anything more. But, and therefore I leave myself to it and continue in it. Willingly, willfully. If there's no concern for sin. If there's no conscious to sin. Are you saying that those that are not in the service of God are in Satan's service? That's what the Bible teaches. Ephesians chapter 2 says, Where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Guys, that was every single one of us here. Every single one of us at one point or another were actually in Satan's service. Every one of us. I know I was. I know I was. You know. And sometimes I still do his bidding. You know. That's the part that kills me. That's the part that kills me. And I know each of you are the same. Each of you are the same. But Paul first wants you to understand that there is a change, that there is a certain change that has happened within you. Back to Romans chapter 6. Verse 17 says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. That form of doctrine which was delivered you. We were the servants of sin, but we've obeyed a form of doctrine that was delivered you. But you have obeyed that form of doctrine which was delivered you. So you were servants of sin over here, but now no more because we've obeyed from the heart a form of doctrine. What doctrine? Well, go to the next book, the very next book, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul gives us this doctrine. This is what we've obeyed. This is what we've done to obey. Have we followed by the letter every one of those commandments? 
of God, the Ten Commandments? No, we've, we've followed this. We've followed this. Chapter 15, verse 1. Paul gives it to us. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. This is what he's delivered. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is that form of doctrine that we've believed from the heart. It's not mental ascendance that saves us. It's not the actions we might undertake in vain that changes our constitution in believing in our hearts that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to to the scriptures. That's what we did. We believed. How hard is that? How difficult is it to believe? You know that you're broken as a sinner. You, you know that. We know that. How difficult is it for us to believe? You know, in, in a way, God has made it so simple. It's become so difficult. And it has indeed become a stumbling block for so many. Turn back to Romans chapter 6, please. Verse 18, he says, Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. As we have changed our service, being now free from sin, it stands to reason that we must yield our members as servants of righteousness. It doesn't make any sense that we should serve that which we are no part of. Guys, in the last couple of weeks, I have had a few people leave the service of my company and they've gone and worked for somebody else. Uh, At the same time, I've had some people come in to my company and now they are working for me. It would make no sense if after they have received the remuneration that I give them, they remain in the service of their past employer. Does it make any sense? If they're working for me now and I'm paying them to be working for me, why would they actually be working for somebody else? The same with a Christian. Same with those that are born again. You can't be in Satan's service any longer. You now serve the righteous God, the one who redeemed you, who saved you. It's his employ that you are under. So if your constitution has changed, so has your service. If your service has changed, so has your concern for that which you do. A changed service leads to a changed concern. A last point. Number three. A changed concern leads to a changed return. A changed concern leads to a changed return. Romans chapter 6 verse 20. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now it doesn't take much to look around you and to see the fruit of sin in this world. It doesn't take much. 
You reckon it's getting better? Oh, come on, it needs to be getting better because remember we have to Christianize the entire world before Jesus comes. Isn't that true? That's not what the Bible teaches. We should be seeing evidence of that if that was true. But we don't see any evidence of that. We see it in our own nature. We see remnants of it. We see it, we see it like those that Israel had refused to wipe out utterly. We still have the Amalekites within our own hearts and within our own lives. We still have them as a thorn in our own flesh running about and giving us incredible grief. We still have it. We still struggle with those tendencies. We're like the alcoholics that would stand up and even though being free from alcohol, we would stand up and say, Hi, my name's Eddie and I'm an alcoholic. You know, because we still have tendency to sin. We have a lust for leisure. What's the fruit of it? Oh, the desire to, to escape a world so many think is without hope leads to drugs and to alcohol, uh, to pornography, to every imaginable sin. What's its fruit? Well, it has a fruit that can often take a lifetime to repay. Our covetousness for stuff, again, seeking after the things which do not satisfy, getting ourselves further and further into debt will eventually see us enslaved. And we have a world that also desires to have us completely enslaved. You know that now as a retiree, you can have a reverse mortgage on your home. Do you know that? Get excited, guys. You can borrow money from the bank still. No end to it. Of course, of course, you will no longer lay up anything for your children because the banks will then own the home. But they want you enslaved for life. That's the purpose. Lust for sex. Entertaining sex before marriage, what the Bible refers to as fornication, will have as their reward many, many, many broken hearts. Also, many unwanted children, unwanted babies. The end of which, for many of them, is the killing of them. And today, there's many weapons that are used against these, uh, against these people. You know, we've got the morning after pill now, which we know is the abortion pill. Interesting, there's a passage in the Old Testament in Micah, Micah chapter 6. And when I came across it, I thought, wow, what a picture this is. It's the second half of the verse, and it says in verse 7, Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What a picture that is. We think that we can, that we can run away. Our lack of responsibility for our own well-being will also have its reward should we continue to disregard our own health. Paul asked the question we should ask ourselves, what fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? Consider it for a second, will you? What benefit was your sin? Have you, have you counted your gain? Have you, have you got it all together? Have you got it in a really neat pile somewhere that you can actually look at it and say, wow, that's what I got from my sin, how fantastic is that? Was it a positive gain? Did it give you life? Are you proud? The Bible says we are ashamed. I know people who have fraudulently, um, who have applied for loans and they have overestimated their assets to make sure that they can get a bigger loan from the bank. I'm sure you haven't done that. 
who have overestimated their income and done exactly the same thing. I actually know of people who have signed parents' and in-laws' signatures giving their houses as guarantees for the loans. I know them personally. What was the benefit? What was the end? Well, the end result was that they shouldn't have been in business in the first place and those homes are now gone. Had to get packed up and sold. Did it cause a little bit of disruption in the family? Yep. You bet. You bet. I have friends who have so filled themselves with drink that their mouths and behaviour caused them so much shame. People that should know better, this is people that should know better, people that are in reputation to be wise have with one action destroyed their own witness and bring to pass that proverb, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savour, so doth a little folly him that is reputation for wisdom and honour. An apothecary, what a name. It's actually a pharmacy, it's like a chemist. In fact, there's so many proverbs that deal with the reward of sin. I just want to consider one for a moment, if you've got a little bit of time. I just want to consider the lazy man. Consider the lazy man. As we deal with only one sin, the sin of slothfulness. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 10 says, Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that travelleth, and thy want as an armed man. Proverbs 19, verse 15, Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Proverbs 24, The sluggard will not plough by reason of the cold, therefore shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. Uh, How easy is it to give an excuse not to go out and work? Anyone ever suffer with Monday-itis? I've got a whole bunch of employees that have got an occasional Monday-itis wrapped up in their repertoire. I tell you, you know, it annoys the heck out of me. If I, if I kept count, and I don't keep count, but if I did, mate, oh, I don't feel like going to work today. What happens? Ed, yeah, I really didn't get paid much this week. Really? You know? He that does not work shall not eat, brother. So what's the reward of laziness? The reward of laziness is poverty. The reward of laziness is poverty. Very simple. And it's interesting because the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. You know, the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Go out there and work and you will have more than enough and enough to give. Why do we work? We work in order to be able to give, not to cover. If we want to learn how to work, do you want to learn how to work? Do you want to learn what the Bible teaches? How you can, where could you learn from work? Where could I learn how to actually work? There's got to be somewhere where I can actually learn what, what, what's the... How do I work? How do I get that diligence, you know? Well, we can go to the smallest of creature. The Bible says, go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer or ruler. Did you get that? Having no guide, overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her fruit in the harvest. You want to learn how to work? Go to the ant, thou sluggard. That's how we learn how to work. So I've got a little ant box and I bring it to the guys, you know, and I show them. I don't do that. Paul summarises here in the last verse, verse 23, have a look what it says. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love 
how God does all he can to ensure that his word is without contradiction. Every phrase, every word so carefully chosen, so carefully placed. Notice in the last verse that the Lord says, for the wages of sin is death. In other words, the earned return of sin. It's the earned return. That's what you've earned. You've earned the return of sin is death. The wages of sin. The men who work for me diligently earn their wages. They work hard and at the end of the fortnight place their claim for their wages and their wages are paid. After so many years, these guys have got confidence in knowing that the wages that they have earned will be returned to to them in full and in just measure. So too will there be a just return for sin. Its wages, that which is diligently earned by those who work it, will be death. If it is the Christian who continues in unrepentant sin, the death will be physical. Christians have certainly died. You know, I remember actually worrying about that. You know, I remember it. I remember actually worrying that the Lord's going to take me. It's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling, but it's true. The wages of sin is death. I've got no guarantee of tomorrow. Lord has no respect of persons. I know that. But my desires, you see, my concern is righteousness. My, my, my concern is holiness. And my knowledge that the Lord has done it all is the only thing that sustains me, you know. It's, it's that he's done it all. And I don't understand why. You know, I look and I ask the question, same question I'm sure you guys ask, what is man that thou art mindful of him, Lord? You know, well, what is man? What have I done to deserve your favour? Yet he died for me. He did it willingly. It's that that sustains me because I know in whom I believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. That's all that sustains me. Knowing that Jesus Christ died for me. And you know what that does? When you understand that rightly, when you understand that there's been a changed constitution, that there's a change of the law, when you know that, it gives you courage to fight on the next day and the next week and the next month. It gives you the courage to move on. And it also gives you the courage to share the gospel to those that are around you. Because you know there is no end for the Christian that would live in misery. Because Though our wages of sin might be death, it's not eternal for the Christian. We have glory. We have hope. Not so. Not so for them who have not obeyed from the heart that which has delivered them. Even in this message today, that death, and I'm speaking to those that are listening to this message today that are not born again. If you're not born again, You don't have that. There are two deaths. There's that which is physical and the second death being eternal. For it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Turn to Romans chapter 2 please. You're still in Romans. Just go back a few chapters. (coughs) 
Romans chapter 2, verse 3 to 6, it says, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Sin has its reward and it is earned. It is earned. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, Speaking about for as much as the wages of sin is death, our Lord is also so, so careful for us to understand that we do not earn eternal life. And completes the verse, but the gift of God. The gift, notice, the gift. Is it the wages? No. Is it the earnings? No. Is it that which I deserve? No. <laughs> not at all. It's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I've been really careful to ensure that each title that I've given to each of the points here, um, you wouldn't consider internal life to be something that you earn. Okay? I've been careful with it. Uh, you know, a changed constitution leads to a changed service. All right? A changed service leads to a changed concern. A changed concern leads to a changed return. Okay? But my efforts aren't even perfect. Nowhere near it. Even with the few pages that I've actually put together to, to, to provide this sermon... I'm sure that I could go through this and say, hmm, a bit of a contradiction there, you know. I, I'm sure that I could. Uh, the Lord has a book with 770,000 words in it, you know. There's no contradiction in it. There's no error in it. And the Lord is very, very careful in what he says. It is a gift of God. It's not earned. So in closing, everything we are today as Christians is attained by the Lord Jesus Christ. We are changed by his work, which continues even now in us. Our changed constitution was attained by Christ, who is the fulfilment of the law. Galatians chapter 2 says this, For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Clear? He confirms his word. Our changed service, our changed service, the second point that I was touching on, is a direct result of our death to the law. Our death to the law by the body of Christ. Romans 7.4 says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. My third point, finally, our changed return. Our changed return is a direct result of our union with Christ. It's a direct result of our union with Christ. Ephesians 2.4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace he are saved, and hath raised us up together 
and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For those of you who have received this gift, whose constitution, service and concern is changed, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Let it not rain. Let it not rain. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. It's not fitting. It's not fitting for a saint to have sin reign within their lives. It's not fitting. It doesn't become them. It doesn't identify them. And for those of you who have yet received this gift, why not? Why not? So what benefit is it that you would even gain the whole world yet lose your own soul? To what benefit? The gift is free, but there is a trade. There is a trade. Surrender the heart that Jeremiah says is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and receive a new heart created under the New Testament. This is your hope if you would only believe. You would only believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, dear Lord, for the word of God. We thank you, dear Lord, that your word is perfect. It is pure. It is undefiled. It is separate from sinners. It's perfect in the heavenly places, dear Lord. We can rejoice in knowing that we have your words on our very lap, that we can trust them, each one of them, believe them and have hope in and through them. But Lord, we still struggle, dear Father, with sin. Help us remember and know that there is a change that has occurred within our lives. Help us take courage, dear Father, that it's not up to us. It's not us that have attained heaven, but you, dear Lord, that has come down to save that which was lost. I praise you for this morning, and I ask you, dear Father, of any, dear Lord, that is still struggling, dear Lord, that they would seek your wonderful face. You are the high priest that they can go to. You are their intercessor, dear Lord. And for those, dear Father, that do not know you, I pray that they would recognise it, that they would identify it, that they would understand what the wages of sin are and that they would give their lives and believe by faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. Buried, dear Lord, risen again in glory. We praise you for this morning. We ask you, dear Lord, to continue to be with us as we fellowship one with another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Morning service with one further hymn, number 398. Return there with me, please. Follow on down in.